When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a quick heads up, this is a fast-moving news story. As we put the finishing touches on this show, Twitter threatened to sue Meta over the Threads app. Also, there's a little swearing in this episode. Okay, here's the show. Meta's new app, Threads, wasn't supposed to launch this week. The company had been working on the Twitter competitor for about six months, but still wasn't ready to unveil it. We are actually supposed to launch it at the end of the month. Then Elon decided to go uh, crazy mode and (laughs) rate limit people's posts on Twitter, and everyone got very upset, so they moved up the launch a few weeks. That's Mike Isaac, who covers tech for The New York Times. He says the launch was a little messy, especially getting it onto the App Store. But on Wednesday night, when the app went public, all anyone with an Instagram account had to do was add threads. And boom, they were on. Sharing little text-based updates on an interface that looks and feels a lot like Twitter. People joined it much faster than I suspected. And my, my guess is because of that close connection to Instagram, particularly, and how you can immediately follow basically everyone on there right off the bat. On TikTok, people seemed into it. Everyone is having a great time on threads. Like everyone, it's the craziest shit I've ever seen. Twitter is over, bro. Twitter is officially cooked, bro. Instagram done literally did it. It's given me 2012. I'm so excited to be a thread fluencer. Somehow, the cool new thing, the social media app that might replace Twitter, is from the company formerly known as Facebook. And I think it's surprisingly positive for a new Facebook product, you know? I I don't know. I think you and I have been around long enough to see a bunch of Facebook launches and meta launches of new apps. A lot of people complaining, a lot of people just sort of being like, I'm not going to replace my old app with this. But the fact that this is so similar to Twitter in a lot of ways already, I think is making people more open to it than they would have otherwise. Today on the show, out with Elon, in with Zuck, maybe? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If Mark Zuckerberg had dreamed up the perfect moment to launch a competitor to Twitter, it would have looked a lot like this. Over the July 4th holiday, Twitter effectively broke. Elon Musk imposed limits on how many tweets users could see. He claimed it was to combat data scraping, but the user experience basically ground to a halt, leaving people unable to refresh their timelines. He basically said, you know, there's an unprecedented amount of scraping of the data on our platform, which um, it's unclear exactly what he was talking about, but our our best guess is that he was worried about... um, outside companies taking Twitter's data and using it to train AI bots, intelligence systems, uh, sort of, let's say, uh, OpenAI or Microsoft or Facebook or all these companies that basically want public data to train their algorithms. Is there any reason to believe him on that? It's actually not crazy because that they like the the internet has kind of been scraped forever <laughs> um like google scrapes everything that people are doing they they call it web crawling which uh, like sucks up web information pulls it into google's sort of database of knowledge and then uses it for search results um open ai has been scraping for a very long time to train their algorithms and uh microsoft uh has done that separately before they sort of join forces and then uh, Facebook for sure as well. So it's not it's not completely unfounded. Absolutely, I think the response to it that he had was another issue entirely. And just sort of, I mean, it feels very typical of Elon. All of his decisions feel very emotional, knee jerk, and implementation is usually a disaster. At least in the case of Twitter. And so, what he did to combat the scraping was limit the amount of posts that people like you and I can see on Twitter, which. I don't know. Is the point of Twitter. You just want to scroll. <laughs> yeah. Like, isn't it, isn't it, isn't social media about brain dead scrolling of apps all the time? I don't know. I thought that was where we sort of stood on that. So that made everyone super mad. Um, and, and like, frankly, like if, if you're not able to use an app, you go to either you go outside and touch grass like a normal person is what sort of Elon was joking that people should do. Uh, or you find another app. And I think that's exactly why Meta and Threads was rushed out. And in that moment, all that those disenchanted Twitter users had to do was download one thing and log on to an app they already had. So you have to have an Instagram account to use it. Uh, Whether it's an existing one that you had, you can make a burner new one, which I see a lot of people are doing. And it's going to be inextricably linked, at least for now, to your Threads account. From there, like me, if you use your existing Instagram account, what it'll basically ask you to do is you have to use your existing handle, which ports over, and they'll ask you, do you want to follow all the people that you already follow on Instagram? And I was like, all right, sure. I don't want to go through and like start refollowing and figuring out who's on there. A lot of people weren't on there because I was one of the first people on there. So I just sit, follow everyone, and it gets you into the app almost immediately, basically. When I did that, there were people in my threads who I followed on Instagram, but there were also all these random people. Why were they there? 
it seemed like Instagram spent a lot of time basically courting influencers to come in there and start posting early. It's been a few days, like two or three days, I want to say, of having new uh, new folks in the app who basically that you and I might want to go to these apps for people like, uh, you know, <laughs> the hot wings, chicken wing account, which I, <laughs> which I personally love to, to follow. And that Mark Zuckerberg replied to and said, he hoped to be on the show one day, which I'm crossing my fingers would actually happen to see Mark Zuckerberg eat some insane hot wings. Um, there were, you know, random influencers who are famous online that I'm too old to know who they actually are, but they were invited in to like post a lot. There were uh, other sort of celebs. Carly Kloss was there posting. And I think the idea was get the, get the party started, get people inside and posting. So on day one, when random dude in Australia opens the app, he's not going to get a blank screen, especially because all of his friends aren't on there yet either. But what I think a lot of people like about Twitter is that they choose who they follow. They are curating their own timeline, and it's not algorithmically suggested to them. Do you know why Meta chose to go with this algorithmically populated feed? I think it's a fundamental sort of philosophical difference between the two companies. You know, in the earliest days of Facebook, it was reverse chronological, essentially, because that's what people were posting from their colleges, their status updates. And that was the sort of smaller amount of content that they had, but still they could kind of sort through it and people could sort of digest it. This company operates at such an insane scale where literally almost half the world is using some one of its products at any given moment in the day. So... Part of it is a is a scale problem, just the amount of content sorting through stuff. And then part hmm. the other part of it is a scale problem on the opposite end. When you're starting a new app, you want to sort of fill everything with a feed of stuff to keep people scrolling. I think I, I remember as, as this was launching, I was thinking about an, a conversation I had with a Facebook exec years ago where they were criticizing <laughs> off the record or on background, I guess they were criticizing Twitter for never going algorithmic in its early days, meaning Facebook realized how powerful algorithmic-based feeds are to keep people around and to keep them, if they can nail the algorithm, uh, interested in what's being posted. And I think it's a real culture clash. It's hard to convert people who are used to using Twitter for a long time into that algorithmic-based sort of scrolling. But Meta's bet is to stick it out. And I I don't, they haven't said anything on whether they would eventually offer reverse cron, but I doubt they will. When we come back, do you trust Mark Zuckerberg with your data? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. Let's talk a little bit about audience. Obviously. There is this sort of built-in audience thing of people who already have Instagram accounts. But is is Meta thinking we're going to capture all of those people who really liked OG Twitter and now kind of dislike what it's become? Or Mm. are are they aiming for new people or people who maybe don't want to use Facebook? Like, who do they want? You know, I was sort of complaining about this a few months ago on how if you notice that when Instagram sort of pivoted to copying TikTok, it was all about video, right? And yep. and it was making me upset because I was like, well, I can't even post pictures anymore because the reels are the only thing that are getting shown in the timeline. And but even that sort of this movement to pushing the industry towards video was a bummer to me because I enjoyed text-based stuff, you know, for, I'm a writer and like, you know, you're a journalist and like a lot of our friends and colleagues are on it, but even just like other folks who communicate well through text and can do fun things in text and meta smartly, I think still sees that there is an audience for that and still sees that Twitter for all of its problems travels very widely for such a, you know, niche uh, social network of only 200 plus million users, basically. And so I think that they believe worldwide there is a global audience for text-based communications. uh, And if they can grab it, it's just sort of like not seeding any part of the market that they can and still feel like they can do multiple things at one time and still go in the direction of video uh, or photos in in their other apps, which is also probably why they made this a standalone app. The writer and editor Willie Staley had this very funny tweet that has stuck with me in thinking about how threads might or might not work, which was basically, I don't want to do my bit, my, <laughs> you know, his sort of like shit posting bit, Twitter. Yeah. Or, or whatever anyone chooses to do. I don't want my Twitter persona and my Instagram posting pictures of my baby to be in the same place. I I wonder if that is a risk. I think it's absolutely an issue. That's That was my whole uh, problem linking my Instagram account to my Threads account because if, it's a, if Threads is a Twitter replacement, you're asking me to be my Twitter self on my Threads self account. And those, those are very different selves for me. My Instagram is private. It is my family. It is not 
me making jokes with you. No, totally. So I talked to Adam Masseri, who's the head of Instagram, uh, yesterday, just being like, look, my, uh, the nerd term is like graphs. My follower graphs are very different across these apps and you're trying to basically merge them. And like, what is that going to look like? And how am I going to deal with it? And he said, yeah, he's, he said, they know it's a problem. Essentially. They're like, I think, I think over time we will figure it out and people, people will figure out how they want to be across these apps or if they want to create new and different accounts. Before I get to the internal meta stuff, I want to ask you, I guess, about this market a little bit, because it feels like, as we've discussed, this is a a moment, right, that meta is seizing on. But other companies have been trying to seize on it as well. Blue Sky had like its highest download day during the whole Twitter brouhaha. Is there room for more than one Twitter competitor? Um, Or is meta so big? that it's just going to muscle everybody out? Or are people just like sick of having five or six different things to check? Yeah, I mean, I think the latter point you're making is absolutely right. Just like I was, even when I was using it in the early moments, I'm just like, am I going to post the same thing to Twitter and <laughs> threads? Like are people who follow me on both of these going to have to fave both? Like it's it doesn't make sense. And at some point, you probably have to choose and pare down the number of apps you're using and what you're using them for. I do think Mm. that people still have these different selves that they play across these apps and have chosen which ones they're okay with doing that for in different contexts. So like Discord, for instance, that's like where I am a gamer nerd and I'm fine with that, right? Or, or, Or like a podcast I listen to has a Discord and I go talk with people in there or a... Uh, a band that I listen to has their own Discord, and I'll go talk with like music people in there. So that that's that particular context, and I'm obviously not my Twitter self in there, but maybe I I still have my Blue Sky account, which is still relatively niche, by the way. Like their their early signups because it's an invite only system were slowly gated intentionally, um, and like frankly, they probably couldn't have handled such an insane heavy load to begin with because of being a startup and having smaller sort of infrastructure compared to a Facebook or a meta. So I I still think there's probably room for other apps, but I do think people have to choose at some point if they don't want to spend all their time (laughs) figuring out what different things are going on across those apps. For meta, threads could be a win. And to be frank, The company needs one after brutal layoffs and a self-described year of efficiency. And, of course, years of scandals before that. Even if people are still skeptical of Mark Zuckerberg, they are more skeptical of Elon Musk. I was talking to my editor yesterday about this, and 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 she and I were thinking, we're like, what is the last stretch of, like, positive, not necessarily positive press, but positive, like, sentiment around this company and Mark Zuckerberg in particular that they've had. And it has been a while. (laughs) I think that, um, I think there's a few things going on. One, I do think that, um, Zuckerberg wants to be liked and enjoy is enjoying this moment. I think that's also why he's probably leaning into the, uh, Elon rivalry thing and like being willing to fight him and all that stuff with the UFC thing, which is a whole nother absurd deal. Um, and I think that like, 
you know, folks at Facebook have been really battered for a while, especially after getting tens of thousands of their colleagues laid off uh, earlier this year and last year. And so this is a real sort of win moment for them, I think, early on as they're they're trying to recover. And like the the feeling is palpable. I was talking to employees yesterday who are just like sort of enjoying it, fist pumping, feeling that like first day of school moment on Twitter, but something they own and run and they're they're loving it for now at least. Is this an admission that the metaverse is not working out? <laughs> uh I think that Meta doesn't want to admit that the metaverse is not working out, but at the same time are still trying to incorporate it into the many projects they have going on right now. Like, as you noticed, that they pivoted to AI as their entire focus. But in all of the things they talk about with AI, they're like, and this is how it will eventually go into the metaverse. And so, <laughs> like, instead of metaverse being their whole thing all the time, they're basically, they're not giving up on it. Mark is still obsessed with it, but it's like, this is going to be far down the road. In the meantime, here are the projects we're working on right now that we can actually gain footing in, basically. But they're still spending like crazy on making the metaverse happen. So who knows? Who knows if if they will drop it? It will take a while. Let's talk about data and privacy. Um, Jack Dorsey tweeted a little screenshot of their data collection privacy over at, at Threads. Um, yeah, and he was pretty skeptical. Jack is not a Zuckerberg fan <laughs> to begin with. What is their data collection privacy? And Facebook, Meta, does not have the greatest track record with protecting people's data. That feels to me like a big question mark hanging out there. To be clear, Facebook is basically like a surveillance operation at like the largest scale. And I think uh, people have to sort of internalize that when they use any of these apps, basically. Like, Facebook collects as much data as they're now legally allowed to, basically, and use that for their very sophisticated ad targeting system. And adding another element to that with threads is only going to bolster that and have them sort of dig into the topic-based interests that you're talking about, basically, when you're on there. I think... There's a little bit of hypocrisy for Twitter and uh, Dorsey and Musk sort of criticizing some of those data collection practices because some of them are standard across other apps, including Twitter. And standard doesn't mean me saying that it's okay, but more recognizing that a lot of apps in the industry, especially in the social media industry, do this. And Facebook is probably the biggest offender, if you want to say that, but uh, it's not uncommon in some ways as well. And I think sort of nailing them for that is a little disingenuous if you don't recognize that, you know, many of the apps you love and are already using also do it too. There was something, and I don't want to sound too nostalgic, but there was something particularly weird and freewheeling and fun about a certain era of Twitter. And I don't know if that's because we were all a little bit more naive about our online lives, or if it was because celebrities and politicians and just like random people who happen to be exceptionally funny were all in the same place. But I wonder if that's a viable thing still. Can can that kind of energy exist again on the internet, or is that gone? I feel like it's all sped up these days. Just, I mean, 
the early social internet was characterized by a lot of us figuring out what to even do online, right? Like I am thinking back to uh, 2004 version of me besides being much younger, uh, also just sort of like being new to Facebook and figuring out what you do on there. And then when I'm served up like those posts, uh, here's what you posted 10 years ago. I'm like, Oh Jesus, what, what was, (laughs) I was so basic back then. Uh, so I think it's like, this evolution of how we are ourselves online and what that looks like. And now it's a very different environment introducing new social apps and we've developed personalities. We've decided this is how I'm going to be here. You know, this is what my Twitter self is and this is how I'm going to do this and it's fine. And like, it feels very much um, to, to your point, like it's not necessarily the early days of these apps and how things were magical and we were having fun. Like there's immediately people posting, look at this Russian bot, you know, taking a crap in my feed or like looking, look at this like white supremacist uh, quote tweeting me or whatever. Like it's immediately, it's like, Oh, the party's here. And someone like, through the punch bowl on the floor or whatever you want to say, basically. And I think that's, it makes it harder to have this sort of whimsical attitude last. Do we, do we need that? Do we, do we need a, a quote unquote digital town square or I don't know, maybe is that not necessary anymore? I think about this all the time. I think about the internet and what it means to be connected to people all the time and what it means. I mean, like I know you from the internet and that's been really nice. But at the same time, I know a lot of people that I don't like on the internet. And We like, know each other IRL now, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I think we met one time, <laughs> but no, but I no, but I think you're, I think it's like for as much as I would criticize meta, one thing I do think they're correct about is that there are positive and negatives about being connected all the time and their thesis is ultimately the good outweighs the bad i'm not as positive i'm not as convinced as they are of that thesis but i do think that like being hyper connected all the time comes with costs that we have to sort of recognize and if you don't want to sort of pay those costs or be online all the time then maybe it's not right for you to be on these apps or maybe it's right to just sort of stick to a few that aren't you know, the digital town square. But yeah, I think it's sort of like, do we need to keep recreating this thing over and over? There's enough people that miss it and are yearning for it that it seems like some people agree, you know, like everyone was rushing in yesterday. Mark Zuckerberg said like, what, 5 million in the first seven hours, something like that. I'm sure there's new numbers coming uh, every few hours because he just keeps posting them. But whether we need it or not, people seem to want it on some level, I guess is what I would say. Mike Isaac, as always, thank you. Thank you for having me. Mike Isaac covers tech for The New York Times. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up, and you will get all your Slate podcasts ad-free. 
We'll be back on Sunday with an episode about how the internet created Andrew Tate. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.